chapter 3, starting in verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Father, as I um, approach your word, Lord, I'm humbled, Father, by what you have done for us. I pray, Lord, that um, tonight uh, lives would change, Lord. I pray that uh, we would glorify you in the way we love our brothers. I pray that we would love our brothers. I pray that um, you would come into us, Lord, and uh, make your home with us, abide in us, Lord. Help us to love like you loved us. I pray, Lord, that this uh, message would penetrate hearts, transform lives, and it would be for your glory in your name. So tonight's message is uh, going to be mainly a practical one. I will approach tonight with uh, three points that can be found in our three verses here. Uh, the first point is found in verse 16. I want to discuss how we know love. So John says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. So we must consider uh, the example given that portrays and helps us understand this love. Then I will transition to what, uh, into what love for the brothers looks like. How are we to act? What does that look like? Um, we will see this love in a very practical way uh, as commanded in the Bible. Then I will close with teaching how these actions should be accomplished. There's a specific way in which we ought to live this life with a certain motive behind it. For John gives us specific instructions or guidelines to follow in order to love others well. With that being said, we can sum up tonight's lesson with three questions. So number one, how do we know love? Number two, what does this love look like in our everyday lives? And number three... Uh, what guidelines or instructions do we have to accomplish this love to the glory of God? Uh, we will be doing a decent amount of flipping tonight, so hope you have your Bibles ready and your fast flippers. So the first one, how do we know love? John says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. John says, the way in which we know love is that Christ has given his life for us. Jesus Christ has given up his life so that we may know love. He has willingly, not under compulsion, laid down his life so that we may be saved from God's righteous judgment. This is a magnificent act of love. John mentions this love here to help us gain a better understanding of his argument. We won't talk extensively about this tonight because it comes up later in chapter 4. Um, so we'll kind of kind of brush over it, but we'll... Talk about it a decent amount. But because it is so crucial John's, uh, to John's argument, and because the love of God is so crucial to our everyday lives, we must talk about it. And of course, uh, that is not to mention the two greatest commandments, love God and love neighbor. They're heavily involved with it. They have everything to do with this kind of love. So there's a uh, crucial truth that we must understand about this love. I mentioned this a while back, that uh, I think last semester, 
that an unbeliever, someone who doesn't have true saving faith in God, cannot fully love. Their love is not complete. This is because God is love. So if they don't know God, they don't have love. Since they do not have faith in God and have not been born of Him, they cannot know this love. Verse 7 in chapter 4 says, Love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So it's pretty clear that if, you're, uh, if you have not been born again, you do not have true love. This has serious implications. Uh, last week, Dave showed the two sides of the spectrum. Either we have murder in our hearts, murder and hate in our hearts, or we have um, the love of God. And we know the verse, uh, we know the famous verse, uh, we love because he first loved us, which also comes from uh, this letter. Um, so we all know that verse, that we, born-again Christians, love because he first loved us. If you have been born again, it is because God's love is abiding in you, and you can know uh, true love. In verse 16 of our text, John shows uh, the greatest demonstration of this love, that Christ laid down his life for us. We who are in Christ uh, know love because of this great act that has paid our debt. John says in, in his gospel that greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Warren Wearsby uh, famously says this, Self-preservation is the first law of physical life, but self-sacrifice is the first law of spiritual life. He's exactly right. In God's great love for us, he, had, he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus has loved us with an, uh, with an acting love, a self-sacrificing love. His love for us is, a very active, is very active, and it led him to the cross. This love was a necessary sacrifice because there was a great chasm fixed between God and man because of the fall in the Garden of Eden. A man says in their hearts, I want to be God, and we rebel against our Creator. Ever since the fall in the Garden, mankind has been on a path leading straight to destruction and darkness because our deeds are evil. We love our sin and don't want anyone to tell us to kill it. But by God's grace, he commands light to be shown in the darkness and gives light to our dead hearts. This is how we know love. Uh, turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. It says in verse 21, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Jesus has shown us this love by dying for those who are hostile towards him. Flip over also um, to, chap- to chapter 2, verse 13, in, same in-, in Colossians also. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He died for people who want nothing to do with him. This is an amazing act of love. 
It's amazing acting, our active love also. A love that has uh, died the death we deserve and took on the wrath of God for rebellious sinners so that we may enjoy eternal life forever in fellowship in the kingdom of God. We see another beautiful description of this in Romans. Turn to Romans uh, chapter 5 verse 6. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This kind of love is so foreign to our human nature. We are wired to think about ourselves and protect ourselves at all costs. Romans says that one would scarcely die for a righteous person or one, or one that may deserve your sacrifice. But one would find it very difficult, if not impossible, to die for someone who is evil or doesn't deserve it. This is the natural thought process in, the, in human nature. But Jesus comes in and does what is so foreign and against our nature, dying on the cross for our freedom, for his enemy's freedom, for those who reject him, Now here's the hinge of the argument. The point when John shifts his focus on our response to this love. This is how we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. John says, because of this radical love that you have been shown, you must show this to others, this love to others. So what does this look like? What does this look like in our daily lives? What does this mean for us? What should our lives look like because of the love that we have been shown? Uh, starting in verse 16b, I'll just read the all of 16, it's only back in, back in uh, 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Now here it is. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So now John gets really practical. He says that if we who have been shown this love have worldly goods and see a brother in need yet close our hearts against him, how can we possibly have the love of God abiding in us? Think about it. How does God's love, his sending his son to die kind of love, abide in someone who turns his heart against someone in need? Now we should clarify some things. If you notice in verse 17, John says, if anyone has, any, has the world's goods. So in order to follow through with this command, we must first, uh, number one, see a brother in need. The only way to see a brother in need is if you're invested in your church. You can't show up late and then leave early and not be invested and see a need and see a place where you can fill and help someone. So in order to follow through with this command, we must first be able to see a need. And second, we must, have, we must have worldly goods to share. How can you give something if you don't have it? Now, how do we know if we have worldly goods? Well, if you have a TV at home, or video games, or a car, or a bed, or clothes on your back, or if you aren't afraid uh, if you may eat tomorrow, you have these worldly goods. God has blessed us in this country, and we have got plenty of worldly goods to help someone in need. So we are without excuse. This command to help those in need 
applies to all of us. Jesus had a life to give, and we have stuff to give. Jesus saw our need and gave his life. But we see our brother in need and close our heart against him. Maybe listen to this exhortation from John and be generous with our worldly goods. But some of you may be asking, well, who are we commanded to be generous towards? We see this text, uh, John references the brothers. We see in this text that John references the brothers. We should be generous towards the brothers. Or uh, we should give worldly, um, but if anyone has worldly goods and sees his brother in need, or before we lay down our lives for the brothers. Um, yeah, so we see, we see this text, John references the brothers in verse 16, and then he makes it singular in verse 17 when he says, brother. The main focus here is the church, or uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ. But the Bible talks about loving others, everyone else as well. Galatians 6 verse 10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, oh, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 15, Paul says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. But probably the best way to understand uh, who we should be generous towards is to look at the story of the Good Samaritan. And so turn with me to Luke 10. Luke 10, uh, 25 to 37. Luke 10, verse 27, or Luke 10, starting in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to uh, inherit eternal life? He's asking Jesus. He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So we could be asking, Who is my brother? Jesus Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He avoided him. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, and by the way, Samaritans and Jews, they didn't get along. They didn't really like each other. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own, on his own animal, and brought him uh, to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out uh, two denarii and gave uh, them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor, of, uh, neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This is an amazing story and one of great radical obedience to John's command in our text. We must go and do likewise, for we have been shown great love. Let us consider what we are saying if we don't give to those in need. In essence, we are saying that our possessions 
and worldly goods are too precious to us. We don't want to give them up because they are our greatest treasure and where we put our hope. We are saying that we don't love those in need and prove to not have God's love abiding in us. Love is about self-sacrifice and self-submission or substitution. We see this uh, executed perfectly in Christ. If you want to see love, look at the cross. If you want to show love, you must also look at the cross. That's where our motivation and drive to love others comes from. It comes from the love that we have been shown in Christ. The love that we have in us is God's love. Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse 26, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. If you have faith in Jesus, you have God's love in you. And we have uh, faith in a future and better possession, so we won't cling to these worldly possessions. Our faith and love in Jesus produces our works. If our eternal dwelling place is secured, then we should be more than willing to help, to love and help others. Having a hope in Jesus will free us to lovingly serve and provide for others. We are not controlled by our possessions or living our best life now. If our eternal dwelling place was not secure, then we should just eat and drink and be merry. We should just enjoy this life. But our future is secure and it will be glorious. So let's work and help those who may be in need that they may see our treasure is not in this world and give glory to God. John takes what Jesus has done for us and given us a very practical way to act this out. We should help our brothers in their worldly needs. Helping others with worldly needs is the easy, is the easy part. That's the easy part of what, he's saying, what uh, John is saying back in 1 John. He says, But if anyone has worldly goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does, love, how does God's love abide in him? That's the easy part, giving worldly, worldly deeds or worldly uh, gifts. What does he say before that? By this we know love that uh, he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Yeah, so that, that means what John says in verse 16 is way more radical and more telling of our mindset. John tells us that we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Again, this is against our human nature to lay our lives down and we see John saying we should be willing to have this outcome. I think what John is saying here, it, uh, I think what John is saying here is because of the love that you have been shown in Christ, you must do likewise and not consider your life of greater value than your brothers. John is calling for a type of humility that lifts others up and brings yourself low. Turn to, uh, we see this acted out in Philippians chapter two. So turn there with me if you would like. We see an amazing example of humility in uh, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Again, we see Christ being our example. 
and urging us to follow in his footsteps. Paul is saying we must have this eternal mindset and not count ourselves more significant than others. Putting others first and killing the sinful part of our hearts that says, I am all about myself. This is not how we are called to live. This is certainly certainly not the example Christ gives. Um, So I, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and I told them that, we had AJ and Melissa and then um, Sam, not some of you know Sam Frain, but, and uh, Tyler and Devin Nichols from our church were going to Indonesia. And I told, I told them that, uh, well, once I told them that, someone else was like, oh, yeah, that's a pretty dangerous place. And I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah they, could, um, they could die. They really could die there or be, or be put in prison or anything like that. And they were kind of like, well, that's dumb. And we're like, I was like, how? Because like, it's like stepping in front of a, Stepping out in the street and stepping in front of a bus. You're just like kind of going, you know, someone else has to go get you then after that. Why would they do that? Why wouldn't they have more tact? I said, well, well, what did Jesus do? He literally stepped in the street and took on the bus for our sins. But, that, but that's the kind of, you know, mindset that the world has. It's like, that's dumb. Why would you just go kill yourself? You know what I mean? So that's the self-sacrificing love that John is talking about. This is the radical life-giving love that John is talking about here. Again, if we look here with an eternal mindset, what are we saying if we are not willing to give up our lives for the good of others and so the gospel can be spread? If we are not willing to die in this life, that means we are saying this world and this life is better and more desirable than the one to come. Could it be that maybe we don't want to lay down our lives for the brothers because we don't have hope in a better life to come? Or that we won't have the blessings of eternal life? Or that we don't have the love of God abiding in us? I think that's what John's saying here. We have to be aware of our hearts and what they may uh, be clinging to in this world to hinder our ministry on this earth. Now I would be doing a disservice to tell you uh, all the way that I've told you so far up to do. You know, I'll tell you what to do, uh, you know, self-sacrifice, give to those in need, and then have you go on your way. We must have a proper motive uh, for these actions. Otherwise, it would just be lip service to further the kingdom of self. This is where we will turn to next in my last point in giving guidelines and and instructions uh, for this love and self-sacrifice. In verse 18, John says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Uh, First, I'm going to tell you what John is not saying. Uh, not saying we do in, these, in this verse. He's saying we should not love in word or talk. What that means is with a motive of self. Remember the love we were, uh, remember the love we're called, remember the love we're talking about is called, uh, is a self-sacrificing love. To gain a better understanding of this, turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verses. Yeah, James chapter 2. Verses 14, sorry. James chapter 2, verse 14. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, 
And one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James is saying, What good is it if you see someone in need and just simply give them a word of encouragement or give them some kind of advice? We must think back to the Good Samaritan. What did he do? He saw the man and cleaned his wounds, took him to a hotel, paid for his stay, paid for his food and anything else he may need. This is real self-sacrifice, real genuine love, not simply lip service. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the famous love chapter in the Bible. told you we'd be flipping a lot tonight. We'll be reading verses 1 through 3. Paul says, If I speak in tongues, in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, this is what we're talking about, giving. If I give away all that I have, this is another thing we're talking about, laying down your life. If I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. We see that we must be moved with proper motives. We can do all the good in the world, but if it is not motivated by love, by the love God has given us, it is worth nothing, and God will say to you on judgment day, I never knew you. Loving in word or talk uh, will simply compliment and flatter. You will not ruffle any feathers. You may even allow a brother to continue in sin. This is not love. Loving in deed and in truth will expose sin, graciously of course, and guide you to repentance and restoring you back to a right relationship with God. We talked about this in small groups last week, about how it's more loving to uh, confront someone about their sin than to let them go on about their way sinning. God cares about our actions and our motives. Words can be empty and actions can be hypocritical. Love seeks not its own. Real, genuine love won't love in order to get something in return. We love because we have been loved. But make no mistake, you will be rewarded for your actions. But this should not be the cause of our actions. But this should never be the motivation for our efforts. We should be driven to action because of the love that we have been shown in Christ, and because we have God's love dwelling in us, helping us to do so. Love is from and enabled by God. We see this in, uh, in Paul's prayers. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all men. First Thessalonians 3, verse 12, and Philippians 1, 9. God will help us love one another the way we should. He will give us a heart that is self-sacrificing, And seeks the good in others over ourselves. If we put our faith in him and in the life he has promised uh, promised us to come. And we abide in his word and seek to delight in him and commune with him. He will give us this heart. He will make his home with us and give us this love. This is how we are to love the brothers. And thus prove to be in the faith with God's love abiding in us. We have to look at the cross and see the love that God has for us. And then look to the cross to show us how to live. Christ is our example. This is how we know love. I want to end our time tonight with a quote from John Stott. I think it summarizes uh, the last two weeks of 
hate, you know, uh, we have hate in our hearts, we are murderers, uh, and tonight of the love of God pretty well. He says, now listen, because this is a lot. He says, hatred characterizes the world whose prototype is Cain. It originates in the devil, issues in murder, and is evidence of spiritual death. Love characterizes the church whose prototype is Christ. It originates in God, issues in self-sacrifice, and is evidence of eternal life. I want to read that again. He says, Hatred characterizes the world, whose prototype is Cain. It originates in the devil, issues in murder, and is evidence of spiritual death. But love, God's love, characterizes the church, whose prototype is Christ. It originates in God, issues in self-sacrifice, and is evidence of eternal life. Let's pray. Father, these are um, weighty truths that John gives us. It's a, it's a uh, mighty task to say that we are willing to lay down our lives for our brothers. But this is the love that you've commanded that we have. And by your grace, you give us this love. You are gracious to us. I pray, Father, that we would all... Um, wrestle over these texts and ask and beg that you would help us. You would make your home with us and you would give us a delight in your word and we would help those in need. I thank you and love you in your name. Amen.